Welcome to the Audacity Church Podcast. We pray that you are blessed by what you hear today. We love to hear stories of what God is doing in people's lives. Take some time to share your story of how God is working in your life and email us at amen at loveservego.com. Now prepare your heart to hear from God today. Well, welcome to Audacity Church. Is everybody awake? Excellent. Are you cold? All right. Well, that was Passenger singing Let Her Go. And uh, we welcome you today to our new series called Love and War. And the title of today's sermon is If You Love Her, Don't Let Her Go. And uh, I want you to understand the heart behind these next four weeks. In any relationship that you're in, my convictions are you're going to be benefited from them. Um, And um, if you're single, I believe it'll prepare you for where you need to be. Um, If you want to be single, I hope (laughs) it helps fix whatever you got going on. And um, I believe that there is an art to love, and just as there is an art to war. And so my goal is to help unpack a few of those things. So before we get started, turn your Bibles or your fake Bibles to your app to Genesis chapter 15. And I want you to stand with me, and we're going to read this portion of Scripture. So Genesis 15, we're just going to stand to our feet. We're going to honor the reading of God's Word. If you don't have a Bible, it should be on the screen behind me. It's magic. This is Genesis 15. I'm going to start reading in verse 5. It says this, Look towards heaven and number the stars, if you were able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he, we're talking about Abram, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Jesus, we love you. And it's under your name that we gather today. I pray that uh, your gospel will be proclaimed. I pray that you would just hide me behind your cross, that you would speak through me. I am an opinionated man. Allow your word to speak through me today through the power of your Holy Spirit and nothing else. pray that uh, you would help us to walk away here with changed hearts and changed minds. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when the honeymoon is over, you can sit down. I think that's when the battle begins. I mean, we're in these relationships and they're complicated and we don't know exactly what to do with them. If you're married, like I said, no problem. Just consider this as pre-training for the battleground. You can thank me one day. And if you're ready for a new marriage or you're wanting out of the one that you're in, I need you to make sure that you're writing things down today. Everybody say homework. Oh, you're going to have homework. And I'm going to know if you did your homework or not, because you're going to have to hashtag it with love and war on social media, and I get to see it. It's fascinating to me. I'm going to give you a few things that I need you to do. But before we get started on uh, the homework, this is what I, I want you to hear this today. You know, for some reason, we have forgotten how to dream. And it might be an age thing. It might be uh, maybe a circumstantial. I have no idea what happens in life, but we forget. We, we stop dreaming. So for a moment, I want you to think about what a dream you might have had before and, and, and you let it go. I want you to think about a dream for a moment that you just don't carry anymore. Growing up, I spent hours on a basketball court. And, and I mean hours, days, 
weeks. It's where I was if I wasn't eating or sleeping. I was on a basketball court a lot of time that I was supposed to be in school. And I had this dream that I was going to make it to the NBA. Now, some of you are trying to hold back laughs, and I understand, right? I'm six foot and I'm white. It just, there's not a whole lot of six foot white guys in the NBA. And I remember that I ate, drank, slept basketball. It was a dream that I had. And I don't know what dream that you might have had. Maybe you've stopped dreaming altogether. The reason we started with that verse is God shows up to a man named Abram. Abram lives in a pagan society where there's multiple gods. And he says, Abram, I want you to leave where you're at. I want you to come with me. And Abram believes God's voice and he walks with him. Now, God makes a promise to Abram. He gives Abraham a dream, and Abram a dream, and he says this, look at the stars in the sky. I'm going to give you as many offspring as that. Here's a problem. Abraham had no kids, zero kids. He didn't have an offspring. Before he's, If you read a couple chapters before this, Abram had a huge, huge posse. Let me, let me explain this. He had over 300 men that lived in his household that were ready to go out to war. 300. I have 300 friends plus. They're all on Facebook and I talked to maybe 10 of them. This guy had 300 men that were ready to go to war actually to get Abram's nephew out of trouble. Abram had a lot of influence. The historians believe he was probably the wealthiest person of his time in his era. You would think a guy like this has everything. He, had, he has it all together. He has money. He has influence. Every, except he doesn't have offspring. He has no kids to share it with. There's one portion of scripture where he's talking to God and he says, hey, I'm just going to give everything to my right-hand man, the guy that has served me. His name's Eleazar, and that's who I'm going to give everything to. And God says, no, I, I have a plan. I'm going to give you offspring. I'm going to give you a son. Genesis chapter 16, God shows up and he says, Abram, I'm going to change your name from Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham, which means exalted father of a generation or of a multitude. You're going to have a lot of offspring. I'm going to read this. This is in Genesis chapter 17. And God said to Abraham, as for your wife, Sariah, you shall not call her name Sariah, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. He said, shall a child be born to a woman who is a 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child. Now, I don't know if you've ever laughed at God. The Bible tells us that Abraham thought God was so funny that he rolls on the ground laughing. And some of you are there right now. When I told you to dream that dream that you once had, the first thing that you wanted to do was laugh. I can't do that. I, there's no way I can do that. That was your first response I want to read to you again. This is in Genesis chapter 18. And um, theologians believe that this is an Old Testament um, uh, 
Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. So we're going to read this. This is him showing up. He says this, said to him, speaking to Abraham, he said, where's your wife, Sarah? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. And the way of the woman had ceased to be with Sarah. Now, women knows what that means. Dudes, let me just explain. Sarah wasn't having her monthly fun time anymore. Sarah was not, didn't have the ability to get pregnant anymore which means she might have been happier. I have no idea. And Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in years, and the ways of women had been ceased to Sarah. And so Sarah laughed. After I am worn out, my Lord is old. Shall I now have pleasure? She laughed at the dream. See, some of you have lost the ability to dream. That's why your relationships suffer. That's why your marriage suffers, because you've lost the ability to dream together. Some of you say, Ronnie, I don't have enough time to even remotely get in on this dream. Ronnie, I don't have the finances remotely to start chasing after this dream. And this is what I'll tell you. If God has put a dream in your heart, he wants it to flourish and it might take time, and it, it's going to take sacrifice, and it's going to take creativity. Ashley wanted to go to a, a Women in Leadership conference last year, and uh, financially, um, we just don't have a lot of extra, right? We live off a very small amount, and, uh, um, and the church doesn't have any extra money. And Ashley was so passionate about doing this, she just started selling stuff. I mean, everything. I'm like, what, you put something else on like Facebook or whatever she put it on to sell? See, some people, what they do is they sit in houses filled with junk and say, there's no way I don't have the money to chase my dream. Why don't you start digging through your closet, start going through your garage, find some stuff to sell and make your dream happen. Some of you are like, well, Ronnie, I don't have the time. You have no idea. My schedule, my kids, everything. And this is what I'll tell you. Turn off the television, turn off the internet, and start chasing after your dream. So what do you do when your dream have dried up? When life or marriage or kids or finances has been the death to the dream that you have? Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly. One translation says immeasurably more above all that you ask or hope or think. God's in the business of putting that dream back in your heart and allowing you, blessing you, making it happen. He is able to do more than you can ask, think, or imagine. Your responsibility is to start dreaming again. This is homework number one. You were created to dream. Jesus has placed a dream deep within your soul and he is awaiting for you to acknowledge it again. There's dreams that some of you are so desperately wanting to live. Erwin McManus said this, an overwhelming number of us feel trapped in our lives that we have created. The irony is that we are the cruel tyrants to hold ourselves captive. And the tragedy of our imprisonment reached into the deepest caverns of our souls. 
Our passion to be freed both ignites us and betrays us. And more often than not, it leads us to be consumed by an unforgiving fire. We have these dreams that we can't live because we've created these lives that suffocate us and don't allow us to even remotely take time to dream or think. Homework number one. I want you to write down what dream did you let die? What dream? What goal, what ambition did you have and you let it die? Now, I will admit I'm an old man. The NBA is probably a dream I should let die. With your laughter, I'm going to go ahead and do that now. I was hoping I would have a different response. Um, Thank you, Courtney. Thank you. God bless you. No, there are some dreams, right? And and that that probably wasn't a dream from Jesus. There was not any real reasons that I wanted. I was like the guy, like, I'm going to win the lottery and then give all my money to Jesus. Let me be in the NBA, Lord, and then I will give you all my... No, I wouldn't have... I would have owned seven houses on different continents. I mean, that would have been me. Some dreams, that I want you to really think about what dream did I let die? What dream was there and I let it die? I let the dream be stole. I let the dream be distracted. That's number one. Then I want you, if you're like, Ronnie, I don't know if I have a dream. I want you to reflect on your passions and gifts. I want you to say, this is how I'm wired. This is what I'm good at. This is what I want to get better at. My daughter um, wants to be a, a better photographer. So she's been saving her money so she could pay to go to a photography class. There's a part of me, there's a part of me that I'm like, you know what, I, I, we, we could probably swing it and, and pay for it. Things are tight, but we probably could. But you know what, my daughter having to invest in her dream, it was worth a whole lot more. And I didn't doubt for one moment that as she was spending hours in this class, that she was soaking it all in because it was a part of her dream. Your dream is going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. I want you to think about, okay, God, this is how I'm equipped. This is how I'm gifted. I'm going to tell you another story. Um, I spent a decade um, as a leader for a, uh, a Fortune 500 company. Okay, that's what I did. I cannot tell you how many times I was in Chicago at conferences, and I would call Ashley. I was so passionate about the church. I was like, I am sitting here learning for a week at a time about how to implement growth strategy, how to implement associate training, how to walk somebody through the disciplinary process, how to cause growth strategically in a community. And lecture after lecture, day after day, I would call Ashley in my hotel room at night and say, I hate this. This is not what I want to be doing with my life. I can't even, this is a waste of time. A decade later, God puts a dream in Ashley and I's heart and asks me to plant a church. And I am equipped in in a much more unique and creative way than any of my buddies that ever came out of seminary. None of them have any leadership training. 
You see that season when there was a dream on the inside of me and I'm like, why am I doing this? This is monotonous. This is boring. I don't even know why I'm here. God in the back side of where I don't see things going on is slowly crafting, weaving the things that he wants done. He is taking my gifting. He wants to take your gifting and use it. He wants to wire you in a way that he can get all the glory. Number three thing I need you to do is how can your passions and gifts meet a need today? You know, I don't know that I'm the world's greatest communicator. I'm probably not in the top bazillion, but this is what I want you to know. I spent hours facilitating training classes. I spent hours learning how to hone the craft of speaking. I grew up a stutterer. I mean, that was a part of who I was, and I still do it when I'm nervous or excited. I'm just, like last night, I was trying to tell Ashley a story, and I know she's just like, get it out. I mean, my Lord, would you come, come, come on, come on, Ronnie, Ronnie, Ronnie. She doesn't do that to me, but I know she wants to. And I, it was a, it's a part of who I am. Well, hours of facilitating training classes to hundreds of employees made me be okay standing here. I'm still not completely comfortable. But see, on the back side of what God wants to do with your dream, he's forming, he's fashioning. So how can your gifts be used and to meet a need today? Number whatever, I think it's four. You have to set goals. You have to set goals. That means you have to write something down. See, most goals go unfulfilled because they're not really goals, because they've never been written down. Most goals go unfulfilled because you're not putting measurable action to these goals. Guys, even if it's baby steps, even if it's one book at a time, hey, I'm going to start, this is what I want to do, I'm going to start reading, you know, Ashley, let me give you, uh, this is this, not in my notes. Ashley is passionate about birth, Okay. I've been to eight of them. I would not put that on my calendar of something I want to do like another time unless God has a different plan. I'm, I'm, I'm like, hey, that, yeah, I get scared. My whole goal is don't pass out. Whatever you do, don't pass out. Don't pass out. I mean, I, I, I see it, it is the most intense hours of my life. I've, having birth has taken hours away from me. I mean, it has not because of the crazy teenagers, but because it just has. And it's in those moments, it's so intense. And Ashley is so passionate about it. Do you know what? She has been reading and studying about it for years. For years. She has a birth that she'll be helping with almost every month this year. God has not done that until this year. But she has been studying, preparing, investing month after month, year after year. No one calls, no one asks. She's not even told anybody she's doing this. It's God working it out, fitting it together. You have a dream on the inside of you that God wants to unleash, but you won't write it down and you won't do anything about it. And I think it's because then it puts it back on me, right? If I write it down, I want to learn this. I want to do this. And some of you are just scared to just do it. You're scared to do it. Oh, Jesse V up here on the front row. Do you guys know that she just decided, I'm going to trust God. This is what I'm supposed to do. I'm believing that he is asked, telling me to do the administrative back of house, everything that none of you, I hope you all appreciate, but none of you even see to help move this audacity church. You know she walked away from everything to do it? 
and we are not paying her in penny. She gets quality time with Ronnie and Ashley. I don't know what that's worth. I mean, some of you probably are like, oh, yeah, or oh, my gosh, no, run for the hills. <laughs> not even. <laughs> and I think that, like, so this is what I want to tell you. Sometimes you have to, to chase your dream. You have to let everything else go. We, we hadn't even talked about her doing that. Now, we knew that that's what she was supposed to be doing. But she took that step before we ever actually had the conversation of, hey, can you do this and would you do this? Because I think you'd be great at it. Some of you aren't willing to chase your dream. And your relationships and your marriages suffer. They do. It's unmet expectations. You're going through the monotony of life, day in, day out, working at the button factory. It's the same thing. And you're not doing what you were created to do. So I believe that what you need to do when your, mar- when, your, when your dreams have dried up is really take some time and ask yourself, what dream did I let die or what dream is on the inside of me but I've been too scared to acknowledge? I need you to reflect on your gifting and your talents and how they line up with that need, that dream. Figure out how that dream meets a need and then set some goals. The spouses encourage each other. We have people that, you know, spouses are overseas. Right now, find someone that you, that's going to keep you accountable. Don't pick a softie. Pick someone you know is going to annoy you and keep you accountable to pursuing those dreams. I'm telling you, find somebody that's going to help you keep you accountable to set those goals. So that's what you do if your dreams have dried up. What do you do if your marriage has dried up? The song by Passenger that we just listened a few minutes ago says, When you love her, let her go. This is what I would say. Um, if you do love her, don't let her go. Finding someone um, that you believe you want to share life with and then letting them go is foolish it is a foolish way of living. Some of you husbands need to, um, how do I say this, uh, church ease, uh, grow a pair. Um, if you need clarification on that, come see me afterwards. I will write it down. We will diagram it out. Okay? A diagram. Josh wants a diagram. We're going to do it. Quit being a child. Make a commitment to serving your family. Endure it for the long haul. Overcome the impossibilities of the obstacles that are put before you and share life together. Zach Allen um, said this, Husbands, to nourish and cherish your wife means to unleash your wife to be everything that she has been designed to be in Christ. You are to live with her in an understanding way and know the hurts she brings into marriage, to know her passions and to listen to her dreams. And even when you have no clue what to do with them, to nourish and cherish means you become the most powerful earthly display of unconditional love. I took that right out of the book the Bible study that the ladies are walking through. And so, man, I need you to probably listen to this again later so you can get that. I rewrote it to say this. Wives, to nourish and cherish your husband means to unleash your husband, to be everything he has been designed to be in Christ. You are to live with him in an understanding way and know the hurts he brings into the marriage, to know his passions and to listen to his dreams, even when you have no clue what to do with him. To nourish and cherish means you become the most powerful earthly display of unconditional love. We have people, um, because you know, I do some counseling, that and their, their marriage is just like on the last string or the last couple of strings, and they just don't know what to do. Some of them 
are just living in loveless marriages and the, and the challenge is just to wake up each day and to share life together. I want you to know that God cares about your marriage. He cares about your relationship. Some of us just don't take the time to invest in the way that we should. I don't, let me tell you, let me show you just how passionate God is about marriage. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. With great delight, I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Scarcely had I passed then when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Men, don't use that one. Your teeth are like the shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all which bear her twins, and not one among them has lost its young. Don't use that one either. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like the halves of pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built in rows of stone, and on it is a thousand shields, and all of their shields are warriors. Use that one. That's awesome. Your breasts are like two fawns, another good one, twins of a gazelle that gaze among the lilies. I don't know what that means. Until the day of breath and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hall of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. I didn't make any of that up. All of that is from the Song of Solomon. There is eight chapters there. God is passionate about your love life. He is passionate about your marriage. And guys, let me just tell you that this, I, I just gave you like a year's worth of material just to put on little cards and just leave them around the house once a week. I mean, just go. She won't even, if she hadn't read Song of Solomon, she wouldn't know. She's like, my husband just said the cutest thing to me today. I don't know why my uh, eyes are like doves, but I'm taking it as a compliment because he's never said anything about my eyes before. I mean, you have no idea. I mean, and I don't know what you say about your wife's neck. My wife's like 5'10", you know? I mean, I could say, but it's cool to say, man, and your neck's like a tower with warrior shields on it. I mean, I don't know if it's a compliment either. But this is the point. The Bible is filled with Jesus saying, your marriage matters. Your relationship matters to me. It's important to me. Sex, intimacy, love is important to me. Some of you would say, Ronnie, I don't, I'm not with anybody right now. And all I can think about is pain when I think about that. This is what I'll tell you. Date Jesus. Passionately pursue him. Make him the priority of your life. And like many things in life, he is knitting the backdrop of what needs to be done. Maybe there's someone that's just not ready for you. Or maybe you ain't ready for someone but I wanted you to know that he's passionate. He cares about your marriage. And all of you dudes are so very welcome for the material that I have given you. Thank Jesus later. So this is the other part of the homework. There's four things I want you to do. <clears throat> There's four questions I need you to ask. The first question I need you to ask is, what's the most romantic thing I've ever done for you? Now let me explain this. What's the most romantic thing I've ever done for you? 
when Ashley answered that question, I was like, I think I've done that once in 15 years. I mean, go Ronnie. I mean, I just, and she goes, Ronnie, it was just a great time. She goes, and I, you put so much effort into planning her and I just to get away with no kids and all that. And and she told me, let me just tell you something about uh, mine. Uh, Mine was on the opposite end of romance. Okay. Um, I don't know how to explain this, so I'm not going to Um, This is what I will tell you. Um, Don't be offended if your husband is asking, like, to bring sexy back. Um, How do I word this? Um, How do I? How do I say this? Um, um, Shave your legs! Oh my lord! Hey, ladies, let me just say this: if you're not shaving your legs for real, for real, join the Dollar Shave Club and buy some razors. I am serious. That's not at all what we were talking about. But Ashley did something. Uh, I'll use the word provocative. And I was like, hey, do you? And she goes, oh, my gosh, I've done that like once. And I'm like, we should, we should do vacations more and that more. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and uh, so this is what I'll tell you. Do not be offended if, if it's on the opposite end of what you define as romance. Don't say, oh, well, you know what? I don't even think that's romantic. If they think it's romantic, bring it back. That's the first question you have to ask. Question number two is ask, what should we be doing together? What should, how should you and I be serving together? How should you and I be doing life together? This is an important question because what happens in our society, the way it's been designed, and we've just hook, lined, and sinkered, kept on walking on with it, is we live separate lives. You go do your thing, I go do my thing. We might show up to do things together for the kids on certain days. And if we're lucky, we might sit at the same table and share a meal together a few times a week. It's usually less than that. And so we've created a family where we're not doing anything together. This is why so many people end up getting divorced when their kids are grown. And it's because their kids are gone out of the house. They look across the table at one another and they realize that they don't even know each other because they've never done life with each other. Ask, hey, what should we be doing together? Number three, I think is what I'm on, is um, what can I do for you this week? So we have a small group study that we were going through with married couples. This is probably 10 years ago. And we were talking about intimacy. And the husband looked at his wife and was like, well, what, what, what do I need to do to answer this question? And she goes, I just wish you would do a load of laundry. She says, I work, I cook, I clean, I do the laundry, and I take care at this time. I think they had three kids. She said, I just wish you would do laundry. So I followed up with him late in the week. I said, hey, man, have you been doing laundry? And he said, absolutely. I'm like, well, hey, man, how's the romance going? He goes, I'm going to keep doing laundry. Some of you men just need to ask your wife, what can I do for you this week? You know what that means? Putting the baby to bed at night, although she's fussy. You know what that means? Bathing the kids and getting soaking wet and not understanding how more water comes out of the tub than stays in the tub. But that's something that you can do to help take a load off. You need to ask your husband. Husband, what is it can I do for you this week? The fourth question is this. How can I pray for you? And Ashley and I have a discipline of praying over each other, and, and I'm not bragging, and, and we don't do it as consistently as we probably should, but it's something that we do together. Let me just tell you this. It's real hard to be mad at somebody you're praying for. 
It just is. If you have hatred in your heart towards a relationship or there's something that's broken, pray for that person. It's real hard to be mad at somebody that you're praying for. So I'm going to lay out your homework, and then I'm going to close. If you are unmarried, or if you can't do this together, this is what I want you to do. I want you to write those four questions down. You can go to Uversion today. Uh, we'll have it up all week, and you can click on Audacity or search Audacity Church. Click on Love and War, and all of this material is there. And these, these, uh, there's a total of eight questions. I'm giving you eight questions in eight chapters. Everybody say eight questions. Say eight chapters. You're going to ask, what dream did I let die? You're going to ask, reflect on your passions and gifts. And you're going to say, what, how can my passions and gifts meet a need today? And then you're going to find someone to help you, encourage you along the way as you set goals. For those of us that are sharing life with somebody right now, I need you to ask four questions. How can I? What can I? What have I done? What's the most romantic thing I've ever done? You need to ask yourself, what should we be doing together? Guys, let me tell you something. Men, just real quick. This will help you some. But this is more uh, than watching PBS's uh, Downton Abbey. I think that's how you say it. Okay, it's more Downton Abbey, whatever. Okay, correct me later. How, what, it's more than that. It's how can, I, how can I serve you? Question number three, you need to ask, how can I lighten your load? What can I do for you this week? And then how can I cover you in prayer? How can I pray for you? This is my last thought. In Genesis chapter 21, it says this. And Sarah conceived, she's a hundred, and bore a son to Abraham. I'm just stoked that Ashley and I are still going to be getting jiggy with it at a hundred. Which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore him, Isaac, which means laughter. Sarah and Abram's, Abraham's dream was finally fulfilled. After they let the dream die, and they, they're like, we don't, we're a, we're a hundred. Should we even, if someone's going to hurt themselves if we keep doing this? I mean, I'm sure that's what I would be thinking. And yet God fulfilled that dream. Look at me. He didn't fulfill that dream in their timing. He fulfilled that dream in his timing, but God fulfilled the dreams. So the, this offspring that is countless, that is, that is as numerous as the stars in the sky, here's what's interesting to me, is Isaac, whose name means laughter, was the father of a cat named Jacob. Jacob, God changed Jacob's name too, to Israel, it means one who wrestles with God, it also means something else, and he changes his name. Israel becomes the father of 12 boys. These 12 men go on to establish one of the greatest nations this world has ever seen. And out of that nation, a king was born, and his name was Jesus. And Jesus was born, and it was because of the faithfulness of Abraham that Jesus shows up in the lineage of David, the king of Israel. And what's so fascinating to me is God had orchestrated this plan thousands and centuries and generations before and it was all because one man chose to follow his dream one woman chose to be a part of that dream so no matter where you are today 
and your dream is a laugh. Your dream is so far to reach. You don't even know how you're going to be able to pull that off. No matter what it is that you're enduring today, what I want you to know is that God keeps his word. The call that he placed on your life and you don't even know how you're going to fulfill, he's going to, he's going to follow through. He's going to follow through. He's going to do it in his timing, his way. He just needs you to be faithful. He needs you to be faithful. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get plugged into the ministry of Audacity or support this ministry financially, you can get more information at loveservego.com.